and Derek was talking about that this morning. And um, it's a fairly short psalm. It's 11 verses. Let me read it. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. Selah. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So this was a psalm that David wrote, and it's uh, his response to the situation in life that he found himself in. Uh, David was a man of God. He was called from a young age. And as a very young man, he was anointed king by Samuel the prophet, the man of God. But he didn't immediately become king. He was anointed king, but then uh, there was already a king, and he became a servant of that king, King Saul. So this psalm, this says, um, it's to the tune or to a chant or whatever of called Do Not Destroy. And there's a series of psalms, it's about five or six of them, that have this word in them. And this word, Do Not Destroy, um, we find it in 1 Samuel 26 when Saul's asleep and David and one of his men is standing over there, uh, snuck into the camp. And his captain says, Let's kill him and we can go home because they've been fugitives. And David said, do not destroy. Now, most of these psalms that use this word, do not destroy, are written during a time when David is being chased by King Saul. King Saul, because he disobeyed the Lord, began to go insane. And he began to feel paranoid. And all of his paranoia was directed against David because Saul was aware that God was with David. He was also aware that he wasn't with him anymore. And so he saw David as a threat. Now David was a a mighty warrior, a valiant man. He was captain of the king's bodyguard, a trusted man, a very brave and powerful man, a man who was acclaimed by all the people because he was their hero in the military fields and he led the armies. 
And these were men that he had fought with, um, been in battle with, saved their life, they've saved him. But now, because Saul is wanting to kill David, now those very men that he used to fight alongside of now were looking to kill him. And he hadn't done anything wrong, not one thing. And he was faithful to Saul. Even when Saul tried to kill him, when David had the opportunity more than one occasion to kill him and be free, he refused. Because David understood, I didn't make myself king, and I didn't make him king. God made him king. He made me king. When he's ready and the time is right from God's view, God can do all of that without my help. I'm not going to touch him. He's called and anointed by God in the past. So this next word in the superscription here is called, he says, this is a miktam. When David fled from Saul into the cave, a miktam, that word means it's a mystery or it's a secret. And David's going to become a leader of men. And initially, these men are going to be fugitives, people who are being hunted. People who are being hunted. Maybe we need to do without this. Uh, these were people who were going to be hunted. And they were searching. They were searching for these men. Even in, the, even in those times of crisis, when the threat was great, Thank you. I'm just going to have to leave this here. <laughs> Thank you. I myself am technically challenged. It's good to have men who aren't. <laughs> So even while he was being persecuted and hunted, um, there was a peace about David. Um, he didn't mean he wasn't concerned, and he took steps to uh, take care of himself and those who walked with him. But it meant that he had an inner strength and an inner peace that people began to, to wonder about, how can this man have this kind of a peace when people are trying to kill him and he hasn't done anything wrong? Well, this Psalm 57 is partly an explanation of that. It's the secret behind, the mystery behind the peace that he gives. You remember in the New Testament, Peter is going to write to the church and he says, always be ready to give an answer for the reason behind the hope that lies within you. That's what David's doing. And so Psalm 57, David is saying, this is the secret of the peace that I have, even in the midst of crisis. Outwardly, things hadn't changed, but inwardly, something had taken place within him, and this is what he wants to talk about. Um, so he, this is what he has experienced of God's grace that enables him to walk in victory, even in the midst of dangers and enemies. So David cries out to God in his prayer, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. 
For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So what's happened is that um, David had married one of Saul's daughters. And she came to him one evening and she said, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead tomorrow um, because my father is coming to get you. And even while she was speaking, men were on the way to the house where David lived. He had done nothing wrong. So she, Michal, his wife, let him out of a window on a rope. And David fled for his life. Um, he didn't have any weapons. He didn't have any men. He was running for his life. He didn't know who he could trust and who he couldn't alone. And so he ran to um, a place where some priests were at a little village called Nob. And he talked to the priest there and um, he took the bread, the bread of the presence that was on the altar that had just been removed. Um, he took that with him and this priest had been entrusted with the sword of Goliath that David had killed. And so he asked for it and he got Goliath's sword and he fled for his life. Now he was so afraid, he was so alone, he fled to the Philistine city of Achish. Now the Philistines were their bitter, bitter enemies. David had killed thousands of them. And so he was like their chief enemy. And yet here he is by himself on the run and he goes inside this Philistine city. And some of the people there recognized him and reported it to the king. And so the king says, ah, now we can get him. So he goes to get David. David, in the meantime, pretends that he's insane. He sits down in the dust. He's groveling in the dirt. He's making marks on the wall and on the gate. And doing that, spit running down his beard and matting into the dust. And the, you know, he, and the king comes and he said, that's not David. He said, this guy's insane. Why do you have to bring this guy into my house? That's not David. And because they, uh, they thought he was insane, he got away. Well, when he got away, he ran to the cave, this big cave out in the wilderness, the middle of nowhere, called the Cave of Adullam. And that's where he is. And you can imagine, here he is. Uh, even He's not safe even in the stronghold of his enemies. He's not saying he can't go home. He doesn't know who he can trust. Uh, his own father-in-law is trying to kill him. Men that he fought with and had thought were his close friends and allies were try now trying to kill him. And he's out here in the middle of the, of the wilderness alone in this cave, hiding, knowing that men were looking for him. And so it's probably one of the low points in his entire life up to this point. And it's at this point that began a change in his whole life. And it begins because when he gets here, he begins to understand something greater of God's presence and God's love and God's mercy. And so what happens is in 1 Samuel chapter 22, said David left Gash, uh, Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him. 
All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So here he is hiding away in this cave, and he's hiding because people are looking for him. And yet, his brothers and his parents knew where to find him. All those who were malcontent, all those who were displeased with Saul, and all of those who were in debt, didn't know what to do or where to turn, they found him. God led and directed these men, 400 of them. Later on, in chapter 23, we're going to see that that number is going to grow until finally there's 600 men. It's a lot of men. Many of these men, when they came, they brought their families with them, and they were having to constantly move. So this became a turning point in David's life. God began bringing people, like-minded men, um, his parents, his family, because if the king is after you and he can't get you, then he will take it out on your family. Uh, that happens all around the world. It's happening today. Um, and so when David's in trouble, his whole family's affected. Just like when we're in trouble, our whole family is, is affected. When one of us sins, all of our family is implicated. When one of us excels and exceeds the whole family, ah, you know who this guy? That's my son. Or he's my brother. <laughs> She's my sister. I know these people well. And so there's, a, there's an association that goes with that. So David begins to speak, and he's crying out to God for mercy. And what he does in these um, five or six psalms here, do not destroy, he's saying, don't kill me. That's what he's asking. Do not destroy me. And so he's crying out to God for mercy. And he says, my soul takes refuge in God. And while he's at the cave of Adullam, there's a shift that takes place. He stops running and trying to hide from his enemies, and he begins to hide in God and to trust him. He's not running from his enemies anymore. He's hiding in the presence and the relationship that he has with God. So he says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So this shift from hiding from his enemies to hiding in God, he doesn't call the cave his refuge anymore. He calls God his refuge. And that's the point that he's wanting us to understand. This is the secret of the peace that's within his heart, the calmness with which he can address the situations around him. Circumstances have not changed. David has changed because of his relationship with God. God is his refuge. He's not trusting the place anymore or the secrecy or his ability to hide. He's trusting in the guidance and the presence and the mercy and grace of God. And he's doing this on a daily basis. So as he hides in the presence of the Lord, as he trusts him until the disaster is past, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He's going to make a statement here that it doesn't matter what the situation has been. He knows what God has called him to be. And 
He's not actively seeking to overthrow Saul, even though Saul is trying to fight him. He's trying to avoid conflict with Saul because he's a man of peace as far as Saul is concerned, his relationship with Saul. So he does not want to have an open battle with Saul, not, not because he's afraid of him or because of afraid of the men that's with him, but because he doesn't want to hurt him, does not want to hurt him. This is the man seeking to kill him for no reason. He does not want to hurt him because he's trusting God to take care of Saul and himself. And so he's concerned. He knows that God is going to fulfill God's purpose for him. He's not trusting in his own ability or his own insight. And he trusts that God is going to save and deliver him. And he does, but not in ways that are logical or that you or I would have understood. Uh, when God calls a person, God is the person who will fulfill that call within that person's life if the person will trust him. God calls, he will enable us to fulfill that call. And David is hiding, hiding in the presence of God, trusting that God will fulfill his purpose for him. And he knows that if God is on his side, as Paul says in Romans, who can be against us? If God is for us, nothing can separate us from God. And that's his, that's, his, that's his hope, that's his trust, that's his walk with the Lord. So God was fulfilling his purpose for David, not in normal ways, but according to the plan and purpose of God. And David goes on and he says that God will send forth his love and his faithfulness. Now these are major, major words in the Old Testament, and they can be translated in a couple of different ways. Uh, love, you could translate loving kindness, or mercy, or love. It's all the same word. So God in his loving kindness, in his mercy, in his love for David, is going to fulfill his purpose for him. And God sends that love his presence with him and his faithfulness. Faithfulness is another word for truth. Truth and faithfulness are the same word. So God's mercy and his truth have come and sought after David. His loving kindness, his faithfulness. David says, look, this is the situation here. He said, I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And people have been accusing him before David, and people have been reporting, spying on him, and reporting those things back to King Saul um, with an attempt because when you're in a position of authority, uh, there are people who are jealous or people who want to take your position. And that's what's happening in Saul's kingdom. And so these are men that are people who David trusted, but now they have betrayed him. And so he's counting in the faithfulness of God and the love of God because he's not sure who he can trust anywhere else. So God's purpose and God's plan is where David is looking for guidance and direction. In Luke chapter 7, verse 30, um, makes a statement in there that the Pharisees and the experts in the law in Jesus' day rejected God's purpose for themselves. And so 
The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they rejected Jesus, and by doing that, and rejected John the Baptist as well. By doing that, they rejected God's plan and purpose for them. David is not doing that. He's embracing God's purpose for him and waiting uh, through some very difficult times for God to fulfill that purpose for him. God has a purpose for every one of us. He's got a, um, something that he wants to work in us and something that he wants to work through us. Part of that is learning to live each day in his presence. Uh, the Latin phrase is corn deo, in the presence of the Lord. And what it is is that uh, we understand that we do not belong to ourselves. Uh, we've been bought at a price. And so we trust the God who created us to walk with us through every day and the task that he's given to us. Uh, if we're young and in school, our job is to be a good student. That's our job. And as we do our job being a good student, we'll impact and influence the way we do our jobs when we graduate, the jobs that we make a living at. So the habits that we start now will carry over to how we do our work. And the scriptures teach us that we need to do everything, everything that we do as unto the Lord. So we're not trying to scrimp or get by with the least that we can do. We're doing it as unto the Lord. We're doing the very best that we can. Not so that we can get credit and glory and honor, but because we want to glorify God in everything that we do. David is trying to do this in his life. He's embraced God's purpose for him. He's willing to trust God when, the, when he's in difficulty, when things are hard, that God is still, even through that, going to fulfill his purpose for him. This is what the Pharisees had rejected about Jesus. They saw him as a threat, so they took offense at him. They rejected God's plan and purpose for their lives. That's what we do every time we sin, isn't it? When we sin, we are rejecting God's plan and purpose. And the scripture teaches us, all we like sheep in Isaiah 53, 6, have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his or her own way. That's what sin is. Rejecting God's purpose and plan for my life and doing what I think is better, which means I'm putting myself in the place of God. So this is your plan for my life. Well, I've got a better plan. <laughs> we reject God's plan and purpose for us every time we sin. And we're choosing to go our own way. Psalm 57, David says, No, I'm trusting in God and His mercy. And I cry out to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He's writing this when he's in the cave. People are hunting for him. And he's wandering around out there in the wilderness. It's a place of of uh, danger, it's a threat. It's, it's not a comfortable, nice place to be, and yet he's there, and he knows that God is with him. And so the circumstances haven't changed, but he has, and that makes a big difference. He's experiencing God's love and his faithfulness, even in the midst of those who are betraying him. And so this is the chorus of the psalm. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's a prayer that everyone would understand who God is and would give him his rightful place in their lives. Let God be God in your life and quit trying to be God yourself. Because when we try to be God ourselves, 
It never turns out well. We hurt ourselves and we hurt everyone around us. And the closer the people are to us is the deeper we hurt them. That's what happens when we try to be God. So David is saying, I'm letting God be God. I'm entrusting my life to him. And he's praying, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be seen and acknowledged over all the earth. And then he comes back and he says, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. So this is um, guerrilla warfare. You know, you're walking through the jungles and there's trip wires there. Uh, you're walking along and there's pits that are, if you step on them, you fall or bad things come and happen to you. Or, you know, they're traps all along the way. And David says, those men have set those for me. But he says what's happened is the, pet, the traps that they set for others, they've fallen in it themselves. Now sometimes when we set traps for other people, we don't understand it's our life that's going to be forfeit, our life that's going to be damaged. So he says to God, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. David's heart is steadfast because he has experienced the love and faithfulness of God. Because God is trustworthy, David's heart can be steadfast. It's his response to what God is doing to him. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is a response to what God is doing. Um, so God takes the first step. He takes the first step in sending his word to us. And then his word by the Holy Spirit becomes implanted, confronts us, challenges us. Our response, obedience, is what faith is. Faith is not an intellectual assent. You say, well, I believe that's true, but not live it, right? And according to scriptures, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. If you want to know what a person believes, truly, look at their life. You'll know what they believe, and you'll know who they worship. Just look at their life. So it's a good thing for us every now and then to stop and look at our lives to make sure who am I worshiping and who am I following. So David says, my heart is steadfast based on the steadfastness and faithfulness of God. And God can take things according to his plan and purpose, even things meant to harm us, and he can bring good out of it. And he can use it for our benefit instead of our destruction. So they come with evil intent. Their intent is to destroy and kill and deceive and to, and to abuse. And God comes to give abundant life, even in the midst of that. And David is experiencing it. His response is, wake up, my soul. Um, I will awaken the dawn. His response, basically, is worship. That's what he's doing. Now, it's one thing to worship when everything's going well. It's another thing to worship when nothing is going right. And it's our worship when nothing is going right that is true worship. 
in spirit and in truth. So David says, I'm going to sing and make music to you. This is my response, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty, my response is worship and praise to you, trusting your love and your faithfulness that fills my heart. So he says, I'm going to wake, I'll awaken the dawn. He's up early in the morning. As the sun's coming up, David is praising and worshiping God, singing unto him. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, here it is again, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And so this is twice that he said that. And it's the bedrock of his faith. And so what happens is that God's faithfulness creates faithfulness within David. So the question comes... Am I faithful? Are you faithful? Is my heart steadfast? Is your heart steadfast? Is it because we have experienced and understood the faithfulness and steadfastness of God? The result is, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is a prayer that God might be exalted. How will God be exalted? in the cave of Adullam. How will he be exalted? In the heart and life of David. He knows it begins with him. Before he sings and praises God, before the people, he sings and praises God within his own heart. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when bad things happen to you, whatever you're full of will come out of your mouth. And it's a testimony to everyone that's inside of you. So it's important what we say, isn't it? Be exalted, O Lord. Let your glory be over all the earth. In what way is that going to happen and by whom? It's in us and through us who know him. So this is what he's talking about, trusting and praising God in the difficult times, um, exalting in the presence of the Lord. Again, the outward things haven't changed, but things have changed within David, and God begins to work in him. He brings people around him, not the most pleasant people, and God is going to use them to create the kingdom of God in Israel. So that's what he's doing, forging in the um, iron smelting pot of the desert, the steel of David's faith. That's how he's learning, and that test is going to, to keep him through the rest of his life. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people like David, who in the midst of difficulties stop trusting in caves and hiding and trying to run away, but begin finding our peace and our security, our hope in your presence. Help us to look around and see that when we are at the end of ourself, we'll find you there, to sending forth your love and your faithfulness. So Lord, we pray that 
when the storms of life come, that we find our hiding place in you. And that we find that place of security and peace and hope. And teach us, like David, to learn how to rest in your presence and to draw from you the inner strength that we need to face whatever life brings. We thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful, trustworthy God. We just ask that you would work that deep within us in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.